Okay, if you wouldn't open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We'll read the first 11 verses. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance. They bowed prostrate, that's what the word means, to my sheep. And his brother said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brothers envied him. But his father observed the same. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together in prayer. Our father, we thank you that one more time you have, in your goodness and mercy and grace to your people, given us the opportunity to meet together and to worship your matchless name, to hear your word read, to offer our prayers of thanksgiving and petition, and to hear your gospel preached, to hear your son exalted. Father, we thank you for this blessed opportunity. And Father, I beg of you that you would not let it go to waste but that you would send your spirit upon us and, Father, enable us to worship, enable us to hear a word from thee, enable us to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and to leave here rejoicing in him, finding our hope and rest and peace and comfort in Christ and Christ alone. Father, we've gathered here this evening from different walks of life, different responsibilities, different events going on in our lives. But we've gathered here with one thing needful, to know Thee, to know Your Son, to be given faith in Him. And Father, I pray You use the preaching of Your Word to do that for each one of us here this evening. And Father, we thank You for this place that You've given to us, a place You've preserved and protected where Your Gospel's preached, where Your people can meet together in peace and unity. And Father, I pray that you would protect it, that you'd set a watch over us and keep us and preserve this place as a place where our community, our family members, our loved ones, we ourselves, can keep coming hearing of Christ our Savior. 
to have our hearts strengthened and encouraged for this journey here below. And Father, we pray a special blessing for those that you brought into the time of trouble and trial. There are many all around and many who need you especially. Father, we pray for them. We pray a special blessing for our brother Cecil at this time, him and, and his family, Father, that you'd be with them in a mighty and, and special way. Comfort their hearts and be with them, Father, as only you can. And all these things we ask and we give thanks in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Now I have a subject tonight that I absolutely love. I love to think about it. I love to preach about it. I love to read about it. The title of the message is The Absolute Kingship of Christ. I love this subject because the sovereignty of Christ the Savior is the security of salvation for every guilty sinner. Joseph, the favorite son, is a picture of that in our text this evening. He has these dreams that we just read. He tells to his family. And you don't have to have a special gift to be an interpreter of dreams to know what these dreams mean, do you? These dreams foretell that Joseph is going to be the ruler over his family. He's going to be the ruler over all of uh, the known known world. And his brothers hated him for it. It says there in verse, in verse 5, Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Well, of course they hated Joseph because of his, his dreams. You know, in their culture, it was a horrible thing, an embarrassing thing. It was just something ought not be done that the elder would serve the younger. And that's what Joseph's dreams were, were telling them. You know, these brothers, they already had to put up with Joseph being the favorite um, of, of his father. And now he's telling them they got to bow down to him too. <laughs> I mean, that just made him hate him even more. Now, a person might think, you know, Joseph would have been better served just keeping his mouth shut and not telling these dreams. I mean, you know, don't poke the bear. You know, you might not get the bear after you. And maybe he would have. Maybe he would have. But, you know, I really don't think that he was telling these dreams in a bragging kind of way. I think he was just being matter of fact. I had this dream. This, this is what I dreamed. Now, humanly speaking, that's very naive, isn't it? But remember, he's a 17-year-old boy. He's very naive not to, not to um, kind of give people the credit for, you know, what they can do, the evil things, you know, that they can do. But he's, he's naive. He told them this. And you have to remember, all of this is happening as a picture of Christ our Savior. Look over at Matthew chapter 26 for a minute. This is a picture of Christ the Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ is King of kings. He is sovereign over everything. And you know, he made no bones about the fact. This is true. He's King of kings. Matthew 26 verse 62 this is after they had taken him there in the garden or having this mock trial against him. In verse 62, the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it these which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter 
shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent their clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard of his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered and said, He's guilty of death. They answered and said, He's guilty of death because they told them of his sovereignty. You're going to see him sitting on the throne of heaven. Now again, you know, if a person wanted to avoid having these men crucify him, he would have given a different answer to the question, wouldn't he? But he didn't give a different answer. He just matter-of-factly told them he is king. And they hated him for it. The same way Joseph's brothers did. Remember, in, in back in our text in verse 4, it says they hated Joseph so much they could not speak peaceably unto him. They just couldn't find it in their heart, or they just couldn't, they could not speak peaceably to him. It just wasn't in them because they hated him so much. Now it says they hated him even more after they told, after they heard his, his dreams. Now that's a picture of the natural man. How the natural man hates God. The natural man hates God. Now you think, well, I don't hate God. Well, now wait a minute. The natural man likes a God who can heal them when they're sick. The natural man likes a God who can provide for them, you know, and give them stuff. You know, they, they like that. The natural man doesn't mind a God who, who can help them do things, help them do, you know, what they can't, can't, can't do. He can finish the job, you know, they started. They don't mind that. But the natural man hates the God who is sovereign over them and who can do with them as he pleases. Now they hate that. Man by nature hates the God who can save them or damn them. And it's all up to him. It's, it's all up to him. And he's right whichever he does. The natural man hates God who's sovereign in salvation. He's sovereign. Now, I'll tell you what that means. A man can't do something to save himself. He can't even do something to get God to save him. This is all up to the will of God. And man hates that. What man hates most of all is that salvation is God's will, not man's will. Salvation is all up to God's choice, not man's choice. I'll show you that in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. In verse 27. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Now the only way you're going to know the Father is if the Son is pleased to reveal him to you. We are dependent on the Son to reveal the Father to us. We can't know him any other way. It's all up to Christ. Look over at John chapter 5. I don't think in this audience I really need to spend a whole lot of time convincing you that, that Christ is king, but I want you to see this from the scripture. So this point is driven home. Christ is king. John 5 verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. The Son quickens. He gives spiritual life 
to whom he will. To whoever he will. He chooses. Eternal life is up to God to give us. That's what him being sovereign over us means. And the natural man hates that. And I'll tell you why the natural man hates that. It's because our minds are spiritually dead. The natural man mistakenly thinks he deserves to be saved. He deserves it. The natural man thinks he deserves this chance and he, he thinks that he can do something to earn salvation. He thinks he can do something to save himself. And that's not so. The natural man is spiritually dead, so the natural man cannot do anything to deserve salvation because we're dead. Eternal life, salvation, it's up to God alone. His will and his choice. So make no mistake about it. The Lord Jesus Christ is king over everything. And that's what Joseph's dreams picture. He may have this dream about his sheaf, you know, standing up and the, his brother's sheaves bowing down to him. And his brethren said in verse 8, Shall indeed thou reign over us? Or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. As a matter of fact, yes, you will. Yes, you will bow to him. Yes, yes, he will rule over you. Verse 9, And he dreamed yet another dream. And told it his brethren. He said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? Matter of fact, yes, you will. Yeah. Not only will Joseph's brothers bow down to him, but his father and mother will too. That's what the sun and the moon represent. That's a picture of Christ our King. He's sovereign over all of God's creation. Everything under the sun and the moon and the stars and everything. He's sovereign over everything. Let's make no mistake of the kingship of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was born king. He lived as king. And he died as king. The wise men, what did they say when they came and found the Lord at his birth? Where is he who's born king? Nobody's making him king. He's born king. He is the king. Christ is king. And he lived as king. How often did he show his sovereignty over his creation? I mean, the man could speak and make the wind and the waves stop. Now try that. He could heal every kind of disease. Somebody, they brought a loved one to him that was diseased. It didn't matter what it was. He could heal. He had power over it. He had power over life and death. He raised the dead. He raised Lazarus. He'd been dead so long. He'd been stinking. The Lord raised him from the dead. He lived as king over his creation, didn't he? He took a little boy's lunch and started breaking it apart and created matter. He created food. After the 5,000 were fed, they ended up with more food than what they started with. He created matter. He's king, isn't he? And then he died as king. Nobody took his life against his will. He died as king. What was the accusation Pilate wrote over his head? This is Jesus, king of the Jews. 
This is why we're putting him to death. He's the king and we hate it. We hate him for it. The Lord Jesus Christ is king over his creation. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. I like how the Spirit moved the Apostle Paul to write this. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 15. Which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. This is the King, the only potentate, the high King of heaven. Now another scripture, look back at Daniel chapter 4. Now I can show you from the scriptures and make an awful good argument to try to show you that Christ is king. But the natural man cannot make himself love that truth. The natural man cannot make himself love Christ the king. The natural man doesn't have the capacity to bow lovingly and willingly to Christ. But I tell you what we can do. We can pray that the Lord gets us on board. We can pray that the Lord will give us a heart that will bow to Christ the King. Nebuchadnezzar warned us about the consequences of not bowing to him, who he is. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, from what the scriptures tell us and, and what historians tell us, I mean, this man was something else. I mean, he was a mighty conqueror, a military man, uh, an engineer, he, he brilliant. And you know what happened to him. The Lord just made him live like a wild animal you know, for a while. And verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth. You put them all together. They're reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. He does his will everywhere, doesn't he? And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Nobody has the right to question what he's doing. Nobody has the right to even question what he's doing. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is king. Now, I don't want to make it sound like you and I had better bow to this wicked despot, you know, or he's going to get us. You know, you, it's not very pleasant. It's, uh, you know, but you just better do it or he's going to kill you. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I want us to leave here with tonight is the blessing, to know what a blessing it is to bow to King Jesus and to cast ourselves upon his mercy. The Lord Jesus Christ saves whom he will. That's what he said, and he saves whom he will. 
You know what that means? Since he's king, he has the power and he has the right to save the very worst of sinners. That gives me hope. Now, if I had to earn it by my good works, I'd have no hope. But I have hope if Christ has both the power and, and the right to save the worst of sinners. He doesn't have to, does he? He doesn't owe it to anybody, but he's going to save somebody. I can promise you he's able to do it. And that makes the kingship of Christ the best news a guilty sinner has ever heard. David said in Psalm 97 verse 1, The Lord reigneth. Now he didn't say that as a threat. He wasn't beating people over the head with the sovereignty of God. He said the Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. <laughs> Let the earth rejoice. I rejoice that God sovereignly saves whom he will, when he will. Because that a genuine sinner cannot be saved any other way. And I want to give you five reasons that it's a blessing. Five reasons to rejoice in bowing to King Jesus. Now all of us are going to bow, aren't we? Paul said that in Philippians. All of us are going to bow. One day every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. We're all going to bow sooner or later. But I got five good reasons that we bow right now. These are five good reasons. Number one is this. The bread of life is found bowing at the feet of Christ the King. Now look back in Genesis. Genesis over in chapter 42. We'll get to these, these places later on, but let's look at these just as it relates to Christ the King. Genesis 42 verse 5. You know how the the famine came over the whole world. And Joseph is now king in Egypt. Genesis 42. Get on the right page here. Verse 5. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came. For the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, he knew them, but he made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From from the land of Canaan, to buy food. Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, You're spies. To see the nakedness of the land are you come? And they say unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. Now, Joseph's brothers thought he was dead. Sure enough, here they come, and they bowed down themselves to Joseph. They came to him begging for bread. I'm, I know they're trying to, to buy bread, but they even, they even have to beg the man to let him buy bread. They got to beg him. They're just completely at his mercy. Now, here they are. You think of everything they did to him. You know, what, you know what old Joseph did? He gave them all the corn that they wanted. And he gave them provisions for their trip home. And he gave it to them for free. Look at verse 25, that same chapter. And Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his, into his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus he did unto, him, unto them. Now the natural man wants to do something 
to buy salvation from God. They at least want to make a down payment. Let me get this thing started and God will finish it up. But you know, God does so much more, so much better than what the natural man thinks. He gives Christ the bread of life to his people freely. The Savior said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever believes on me has eternal life. And they have it for free. What Isaiah write in Isaiah 55 verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. Now if you're thirsty, if you're hungry, listen up now. Come, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, don't worry about that. Come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Are you hungry? Come have it for free. That's the, that's the gospel. A salvation and eternal life for our souls is given to sinners freely by Christ the King. But I tell you, that bread is only found, just like Joseph's brothers found it, bowing at the feet of Christ the King. When you bow at his feet, begging him for the bread of life, he gives, he quickeneth whom he will. Lord, quicken me. You know where you're going to find life? Begging at his feet. That's where it's found. Number two, Christ the Savior is revealed to his people when they're at his feet. Look at Genesis 44. Verse 14, this is when the brothers had gone back home. Now they've come back. To, they've run out of the corn. First, They got the first time. Now, now they've come back to, to buy more. In verse 14, And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. Now there they are again. <laughs> They keep coming to Joseph, bowing his feet, don't they? They don't know it yet. They don't know that's who he is yet. But that's what they keep doing. They keep bowing at his feet. And they have a lengthy conversation. And then Joseph's heart finally just bursts in love for his brethren. Look at chapter 45. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. His brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I'm Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. You reckon? They were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I'm Joseph your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Now when Joseph's heart was moved with love, who did he reveal himself to? Only his brothers. The Egyptians had to leave the room. Only his brothers. Those ones who were at his feet that's who he revealed himself to. That's how he revealed him, who he is. Not only you already figured out I'm the king. You already figured out your lives are in my hands. I can give you food or I can withhold it from you. It's all. He revealed himself to them in love. You notice he didn't say, now you boys didn't do anything wrong. He didn't say that. He said, you did wrong. But that's okay. I forgive you. 
I forgive you. He revealed himself to his brethren in love. Now this is the type of Christ. He only reveals himself to his people. The people that the Father gave him. And when he reveals himself to his people, he reveals his person. it's, It's what he's like. Not only is it his work of redemption, but how does he save sinners? In mercy and grace. By loving his people so much, he sacrificed himself for them so that they'd have eternal life. And you know who he reveals himself to that, that way? To those bowing at his feet. Look at Luke chapter 5. Here's a real good example of that in the New Testament. Luke chapter 5. Verse 18. And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. They they were trying to lay him at the feet of Christ. And when they could not find by what way that they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling. They tore the roof off the house and let him down through, through the roof with his couch into the midst before Jesus, right at his feet. And when he saw their faith, he saith unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whither is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we've seen strange things today. It's just my suspicion that the people, the Pharisees, who saw this miracle had a different conversation that evening than the man who was sick with palsy had when he got home. They said, we've seen strange things today. You know what that man said? I met the Lord today. (laughs) I met the King today. I tell you, this man got a whole lot more than he bargained for when he got his friends to try to bring him to the feet of Christ, didn't he? He learned, first of all, Christ is King. Naturally speaking, over the natural world, Christ is King. He's sovereign over every germ over every disease, over every event. He's sovereign. He can say to the paralyzed person, take up your bed and walk. And they will. They will. And this man also found out Christ the King forgives sin. And you know where he found that? Lying at his feet. Lying at the feet of the Master. He got a whole lot more than he bargained for, didn't he? And I tell you, if you're a helpless sinner, 
Tell you where you can find forgiveness for your sin. It's lying at the feet of Christ. Begging him for mercy. That's where you'll find forgiveness. It's not bargaining with God. It's not saying I'll start doing better. I'll start sinning less. It's simply lying at his feet. In all your sinful condition. That's where you'll find forgiveness of your sin. All right, now look back at Genesis chapter 50. Here's the third third thing. Or I'm so, I was talking about forgiveness, but that's where you'll meet, meet the Savior at his feet, where you'll find his, his compassion, his mercy, his forgiveness. Here's the third thing. Sin is forgiven at the feet of Christ. It's his nature to forgive. Verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us all the evil that we did unto him. What goes around comes around. Now he's going to get us. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto the evil. And now we pray thee forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept. When they spake unto him. And his brethren also went. And fell down before his face. There they are again. They fell down before his face. And said behold. We be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them. Fear not. For am I in the place of God? But as for you. You thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day. To save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you. And your little ones. And he comforted them. And he spake kindly unto them. Now I don't know if Jacob really told his sons to go do this. And say make this big old speech to Joseph. It could just be a story that they made up. They thought well if we use our father Jacob's name. Joseph will be more likely you know not to, not to get us. But either way. Here these brothers are yet again. Where you find them. Bowing at the feet of Joseph. And there they are before his feet knowing he could kill them or he could let them live. Their life is in his hand. Whether they go home tonight or not is up to him. Their life is in his hand. And they're trembling before the sovereign. They're trembling at his feet thinking he's going to give us what we deserve. Now there they lay at the feet of their brother thinking he's going to give me what I deserve. And what did they find? Forgiveness. They deserved for Joseph to get them. That's what they deserved. And they were so sure he was going to do it. And you want to know why? I tell Janet this all the time. People think everybody else is just like them. They thought, if I was in Joseph's place, I'd get these brothers. Thankfully, Joseph's not like them. God's not like you and me. Let's not, let's not get this mistaken impression that God is like you and me. He's not like us. Joseph didn't tell his brothers, now you didn't do wrong. It's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. You did evil. What you did in your heart, you did evil and you meant it for evil. But I forgive you. But I forgive you. He forgave the people who were bowing at his feet. 
Now look at Luke chapter 7. Here's a New Testament example of this very same thing. The same thing is true of everyone who comes to Christ begging for mercy. He forgives every one of them. You read through the whole Bible, you'll never find one person begging Christ for mercy, begging him for forgiveness that didn't get it. Luke 7, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. She was a notorious, famous sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she's a sinner. If he is a holy man, he wouldn't let this sinner be touching him. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto him, Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thy, thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath, hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he saith unto her, thy sins are forgiven. This notorious sinner found forgiveness for her sin. I mean, she's famous for her sin. She hadn't been trying to hide it. It's been out there in the open. She's famous for it. And you know where she found forgiveness of all that sin? At the feet of Christ. And on the authority of the word of God, I tell you, you'll find forgiveness for all your sin at the feet of Christ and nowhere else. Now come to him. You can't make him. You can't, you, you can't say, well, now he owes it to me. If I come to his feet, no, he's not owing it to you. You come to him begging him for forgiveness and you'll have it. That's just a fact. All right, now look at Matthew chapter two. Here's the fourth thing. Sinners can only worship at the feet of Christ. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that's born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, you know what Herod did. He tried to get them to, to tell him where he is because Herod wanted, wanted to kill the child. In verse 11, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down 
and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now Herod wanted to know where the Lord was, and these wise men wanted to know where the Lord was. Herod couldn't find the Lord so he could kill him. These wise men came from a long way off to a strange place, and they went right to him. They found him. And when they found him, now he's a baby, they fell at his feet and worshipped him. See, they knew something. I don't know everything that they knew, but they knew something about who this baby is. This baby's God in human flesh. This baby is the eternal of days, who is now a babe of days in his mother's arms. This is the child who was born, but the son who was given. His name is Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is God in the flesh. And you know why he's come? To save his people in the flesh. God came where his people are so he could save them from their sin. God became what his people are so that he could make them what he is. So that he could make them righteous and holy. Now the natural man can't see that and can't understand that. The natural man will never worship Christ like that. But I'm telling you, if God gives us spiritual eyes to see who the Lord Jesus Christ is, he's the God man come to save. We'll worship him. And the only way you can see who Christ the King really is, is at his feet. You get the best view of his character at his feet. Now here's the last thing, Luke chapter 5. Sinners are cleansed from every stain of sin, bowing at the feet of Christ. Luke 5 verse 12. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, Behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face, (laughs) at his feet, fell on his face, and besought him, begged him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Now this man, this leper, he came and worshipped him. It's always important to know he worshipped him before he knew if the Lord did anything for him or not. He didn't worship the Lord because the Lord blessed him. He worshipped the Lord for who the Lord is. You and I will only worship at the feet of a sovereign who does with us as he pleases. If you can bargain with God or you can coerce him or you can negotiate with him, you're not worshipping. True worship begins with helplessness. It begins with begging. True worship can only be done by the helpless. And that's what this leper did. He acknowledged who the Lord is. He acknowledged who he is. I'm full of leprosy. You're the Lord. You can heal me if you will. The issue here is your will. That's the issue. And he submitted himself to whatever the Lord's will was. Whatever the Lord was pleased to do. That's worship. That's worship. And as I said a minute ago, everybody in scripture who ever begged for mercy that way received mercy from the Lord. They received it at his feet. 
when he spiritually healed all their wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. The spiritual cleansing of sin, it's only received by those who are bowing at the feet of Christ. That's a blessing, isn't it? Isn't it a blessing to be able to bow at his feet? I pray the Lord will find you and me bowing at his feet. Let's bow together in prayer. Our fathers, these brethren of old, came and bowed at your feet. Lord, we bow at your feet. We bow begging you for mercy. Oh, would you be pleased to be merciful to us? Would you be pleased to be merciful? Reach down and lay hold upon your people. Father, would you forgive us of our sin? Would you accept us for Christ's sake? Would you comfort our hearts with your presence, with your loving, gracious presence? Father, would you be with us and comfort our hearts as only you can? And Father, we wait on thee. It is our prayer, we pray, it is our heart's prayer to say thy will be done. Enable us to say, and mean that and believe it, thy will be done. Knowing and believing and resting in the fact you do all things well. It's in the name of Christ our Savior. For his sake, for his glory we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.